1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 178 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you,
0: Al? I am rested, I think. that's probably it. Well, am I rested? Really? I've had a three – well, we've had a long weekend, so, yes. you know, technically I'm rested. However, mm. we've been painting again. Oh. You mean so the walls? I, the walls, the hallway. It looks lovely. Okay, really that's good. I know. I, I'm just glad it's over. It's a little bit like I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to do things to get them done, don't you? Well, what we've colour done did it. you
1: paint it? Did you paint it like, like? Does it have a fancy name like duck egg blue or it's egg called blue coastal or something? It's called um,
0: white duck. White duck. They're into ducks. They like a duck. Yeah. It's yeah. actually got nothing to do with blue though. It's kind of like a dirty white colour. Okay which is, it's really good, actually. I really like the colour. And then it's all the trim. We have quite a lot of fancy timber work in our hallway because we're in, you know, an oldie, an oldie but a goodie, the house. Um, And so all the timber work is natural white.
1: So sometimes I do wonder who makes up the names for paints because I think that that would be quite a cool job.
0: Well, didn't we talk about, I remember us having this conversation one time, I don't know if we were talking about paint colours or nail polish colours. Maybe we had a long and involved conversation about nail polish colours one time, but um, I always thought it would be a great job. I mean, lipsticks, like lipsticks always have the most, you know. I just find, um, uh, you know, are they trying to evoke a, like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to evoke a feeling? Are they trying to describe the colour? Because, you know, white dark is not really... (laughs) doing it as far as the description of the colour goes. Um, No. (laughs) Yeah, and a natural white is like, yeah, but it's white but it's got like a tiny bit of black in it. But my friend had a colour called China White which was white with a little bit of black in it but it will actually look grey when you put it on the wall. So I don't know. I just think everything, I I just think someone's sitting in a room going, oh, what haven't we called a paint colour yet? They probably have an app. (laughs)
1: <laughs> to, like, generate all different words that go together. But anyway, this isn't So You Want to Be a Painter. This is So You no. Want to Be a Writer. And yes. I have to talk about something that I did in the past week, which was just so exciting okay. and very apt for a podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer. And right. that is I actually launched a book or actually a oh. series of books. And so, yes, we did a book launch last week and it was uh, the author is Shelley Unwin and she is one of our graduates at the Australian Writer Centre. She's done a couple of courses. She's done um, writing books for children and young adults and she's also done writing picture books and she is just one of these women who is proactive, who takes what she learns and does something with it, oh, who has... That determination and persistence. And yeah, last week we launched a series of books and they're a series of picture books and um, there's five of them. The first one is your one, as in, you know, you've turned one. Next one, surprisingly, your two, then there's your three, your four and your five. And And they're illustrated by Catherine Battersby and published by Alan and Unwin. So at the book launch was her publisher, her agent, who is Alex Adset. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, just such a great evening and so thrilled for Shelley to see her dream basically become reality you know one of the things that she and I think we've spoken about this before in the podcast but one of the things that she did on her journey to become a writer is that she created a vision board and she stuck her vision board uh in, on, the, on the inside door of her cupboard where she goes and makes her tea, so she has tea fairly often so she would regularly open the cupboard and see her vision board. And on her vision board, uh, among other things, were in big writing uh, the words a great publishing deal. And she got a great publishing deal, and she always wanted to be a published author before she turned forty, and she's forty in two months.
0: Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yes. She looks amazing. I'm looking at the photos here on the um, on the link to her blog, which we will put in the show notes, and she's so glamorous. Like it's yes. just amazing. It looks like a fantastic night.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And um, there was uh, um, so much cheese there. <laughs>
0: Oh, see, that is a great night. As far as I know. I'm concerned, that is a great night right there. Cheese, yes. I love cheese.
1: Very well organised. And she's already doing school visits and, yeah, it's just uh, all happening for Shelley and I have no doubt oh, that Yeah, this is the start of many more books for Shelley. So um, you should check out her series of books. If you know any kids aged one to five, it's actually
0: perfect for them. Mm, Oh, but wait a minute. Before we move on from that, it's actually been a pretty big week for graduates, for alumni from the Australian Writers' Centre. Didn't one of our um, fantastic alumni win a big travel award this week as well? Oh, yes. I think we should talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Jocelyn Pride, who um she has done a travel writing course and a number of other courses. She did the food writing course in Sydney. She's she flew up from Melbourne for it because it's held in Sydney. And um she has gone from strength to strength. One of the things that she said to me quite early on was she said that um she she took every single skerrick of advice that she learned. Every technique, every tool, and she made sure she put them into action. She actually wrote notes very, very carefully during the course, and she put every single thing into action. And she has gone from strength to strength. She's published in so many different uh, publications for her travel articles. She's a travel writer now, and uh, they're in fantastic publications. She started getting published very soon after uh, she finished her course because she put everything into action and very recently like last week she was in Washington DC at a giant travel convention in the US and was one of uh, only four journalists in the world and the world yeah the world it's it's These are world recognition kind of awards who were recognized for their travel writing work. And she won for an article on the best article on a U.S. destination for an article she wrote about Alaska. And it was actually an article that we workshopped in one of the courses. So I'm just so thrilled for Jocelyn because, yeah, they're literally entries from all over the world, I think representing more than 30 countries anyway, and she was only one of four being honoured. So very excited for Jocelyn Pride. Yes, indeed, um, big week for for, uh, Australian Writers' Centre alumni. Fantastic. Hooray. Hooray. Okay, we have a shout-out to Ella Mansfield who left us a review on iTunes and has called it Just Do It. Now, Ella says, thank you so much for this inspirational and informative podcast. I've been listening to back episodes on the way to work after I do the school drop-off, and the most common advice seems to be just write the book. (laughs) 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 Okay, yes, you've distilled it really well, Ella. That sounds like Uh, us, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Ella continues, so I've set myself the challenge to write 50,000 words over the next six months. I'll let
0: you know how I go. Wow. Well, good luck, Ella, and I hope that you do get that book done in in 50,000 words in six months. I look forward to hearing on how you go. And, in fact, one of the tools that you can use
1: to help you get those 50,000 words is Alison's fantastic 30-day writing boot camp where if you follow the instructions, you will have 10,000 words in 30 days. So 50,000 should be easy. Mm. Awesome. And and Alison's and <laughs> advice in this 30-day boot camp, I have to say, is extremely practical. It's not just, oh, I'll never be able to do what she says. At all. It is very, very practical. It's totally doable. So many people have told us that they've achieved their 10,000 words. Some people were even much, much more than 10,000 words. But it's such a fantastic tool. Um, so check it out uh, hmm. um, uh, at uh, writercenter.com.au. Right now, shall we move on to the world of publishing and writing this week? I, I feel we should. It's probably time. Now, here's an interesting one. I actually found this on TechCrunch and it's a product called Page Habit. So you know how you can get subscription box services like um, you can pay monthly and you can get a bunch of makeup every month or a yeah, bunch yeah. of paleo goodies every month or mm. whatever. You can do this with books as well. However, they've done a, um interesting thing where what they've done <laughs> is they get uh, specific authors to do notes on their favourite books and they write them on post-it notes and they're stuck in the books. Oh. So you actually get to see, you get to read a book that has been curated for you, but a an author writes a handwritten letter and, and about 20 to 30 annotations on post-it notes, which – Obviously, they only write it once. The, the company reproduces those notes <laughs> and then sticks I'm them. I going to say that's time-consuming for the author. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's just kind of clever, right? That's cute. Yeah, so it's a, it, a different way to read a book. So um, who knows? I'm not sure whether I'll necessarily sign up because I have already way too many books to read. But for people who like getting that um, insight into what an author
0: is thinking, then perhaps it could be for them. I think it would be something that I would probably only want particular, do you know what I mean? Like if they were offering a certain author, I might yes. I might get that one. Um but I don't know that I would subscribe to something like that to get one a month or anything like that because, you know, really, I, I guess from my perspective it's only if I'm really, really interested in the author's work that I would be interested in their process maybe.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, do you actually subscribe to any
0: kind of monthly box? No. No, me No, either. I have right. enough trouble keeping True. up with – well, no, because I just have – yeah, no. I, I guess also, you know, I live – I'm not living in a metropolitan area so the offerings aren't as – Broad for me down here. Yes, <laughs> Down you're in the boonies. We don't get as many <laughs> options, It's probably not a bad thing. Which um, means saves, you, which saves make, my money. Means you more reason to subscribe to a box. Yeah, but what, what? would I? I don't, I don't want a box of paleo or a box of what would I subscribe <laughs> to? I don't need more books. Like I was having a conversation yes. with my boys over the weekend about our next project being a massive clear off of everybody's bookshelves because they're just oh yes out of control. And, you know, book boy with his blog gets sent books, buys yes. books, goes to secondhand book. I mean, the kid has more books and they're, they're stacked in towers in his bedroom at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, you know, we've really like, we need to do a cull. Let's make some space for some new books here because it's just getting ridiculous. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I'll be having a book sale. <laughs> it's hard something. to let go of books, isn't it? Um, It's hard to let go of certain books. I I only, Mm. like, I've got a lot better over my life. You know, I think all you have to do to cure yourself of a book hoarding habit is move house a few times. And I have (laughs) moved house quite a few times in my life. So I'm very, very good at, at, you know, getting down to the absolute basics um, of what I, I, I only, I keep books I love the area of my life that is getting a little bit out of control is books by friends. Um, oh, yeah, so my books by friends shelves, um, and yes. of course there you can't, you, you're not getting rid of books by friends, particularly signed no. copies. So my, oh. my, my books by friends, uh, shelves are actually like a little bit out of control. Um, mm. but yeah, all the other stuff, like if I, if I don't think I'm ever going to look at that book again, I don't keep it. I'm, I'm, I'm handing it on to someone who can also enjoy it.
1: Yes, I need to do a cull myself. But anyway, mm. let's move anyway, on well, to – Yes. Let's move on to another link that I've got from the right practice and it's called how to start writing your book again after a long break. Hmm. Now I thought this was interesting because I've recently spoken to a couple of different authors who have done just that. They've left their book for 10 years or, or, you know, three years or whatever it is for whatever reason. Uh, in some cases, they thought, "Oh, it's not good enough," so I'm just going to chuck it. And then they revisit it. In some cases, they just got busy doing other things and didn't mean to leave it for so long. Um, now, they've got the, the tips are fairly straightforward. In that, the first one is reread what you wrote. I mean, that's kind of obvious. <laughs> Number two, spend some time with your characters, which is also a good one. And, um, it talks about how a particular author fills out job applications for her (sighs) characters. (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of, kind of clever, yeah. and another idea is to fill out dating profiles for them, and oh. it's probably useful to revisit your characters because they may have changed
0: over the last three years, if you know what I mean. Um, well, yes, they have. Like I'm in the process of this at the moment because I've picked up a novel that I – it's a children's novel again, but I started writing it, um, gosh, last year? year okay can't even remember. Yes. It's been a while. Um, so I have picked it up again because I, I particularly like it and I need to have a look at it. But I have realised even before I reread it, I realised that my character, my main character, is um, needed to be different. Like it wasn't just that she was different, she needed to be different. So um, I have worked through some sort of changes in her and I also realised that the dynamic in the novel, again, this is before I even reread what I'd written, Um, I realised that the dynamic in it needed to change. So one of the other characters needed to be more prominent um, than he was. So a whole range of things, and I I think that that's the reason – that you even come to those things is the, is the realization of two things. I think the market has moved on since I started writing this particular Mm. book, um, has moved on in in a way that I probably wouldn't have expected at the time. Um, and I also think that the, um, I guess if you leave characters to kind of, you know, what would you call it? Marinate. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, in right. the back of your mind, yeah. they, they do change. They develop, you know, differences that you maybe weren't expecting the first time around. And I think sometimes, um, uh, there was a couple of things that happened in the, once I did reread it, um, there were a couple of things that happened in it that I realized I'd probably done because I, I was manipulating the story. I needed it to work in a certain way, but with mm. the change in the character, I don't need to manipulate it anymore. So I can, yeah. uh, so what I've got to basically do is start again. I'm rewriting. Are you literally, my,
1: so my question is, are you literally rewriting as in word for word kind of rewriting or are you rewriting bits and rearranging sections?
0: Um, I am, so I'm, I'm looking at the moment at my first three chapters and I've realized that the, particularly the first chapter again, you know, me and my first chapters, um, the first chapter is, is, uh, is wrong. Is not right. I, so I'm rewriting that from the start, from the opening sentence onwards, yeah. um, the actual, the actual premise of the story, the, the plot per se will remain essentially intact, um, because it was a puzzle that I've worked out and the solution Mm. to that puzzle will remain the same, et cetera. But how we actually get to that solution uh, may change along the way because my characters are now different and the people who are actually driving the story are different. So we Mm. will come to the resolution in a slightly different fashion.
1: But will there be bits from your current version that That
0: will remain in it? Yes. Yes. Yes, there are some bits of it that will remain because I like them and they work still, you know. like, But most of those bits are the sort of more introspective bits uh, so they're the more sort of uh, they're not the, so a lot of the dynamic and the dialogue is going to change but the introspection of the character will will Mm. probably remain similar. What she's feeling doesn't change. Yes. But how that actually like plays out does change.
2: Okay.
1: Great. Now, I'm interested to know why you left it in the first place.
0: Because I, the reason I left it in the first place was that I had written half of it and outlined the other half and I sent it to my publisher who agreed that it was a, a, a really good start but that it wasn't ready and that they didn't want it to be the next A.L. Tate thing mm. um, and then I needed to write another mapmaker book and then they asked me to do another series that might work for A.L. Tate which uh, yes. I came up with the band Cypher so I wrote four books uh, last year sort of yes. fulfilling obligations in other areas and now I've got the space to come back to my to my other project.
1: <laughs> so those books that you wrote were written under A. L. Tate, who which is of course your the, the name that you write, the McMabco Chronicles and and the upcoming Adaban Cipher. Mm-hmm. Is Alison Tate going to be writing a book soon?
0: I don't know about. It will depend on how this. Well, it depends on how this book goes, and how I feel about it once I've actually finished it. It may well be an Allison Tate book as opposed to an AL Tate book because it is not a fantasy adventure, which the AL Tate brand is most definitely fantasy adventure. So this may well be something that comes out under Alison Tate because it's a slightly different. You know, I, I, I'm, it's a slightly different area. Um, I'm not exactly sure. It, it depends on how the. It depends on how the manuscript turns out, you know, like you make those, I I don't think you make those decisions before you actually finish the book. I think you finish the book and then see where it might fit into the, into the, um, into the body of work.
1: And I know that you've discussed this before, but there may be new listeners who haven't heard the back catalog yet. Can you just remind us why you chose to write under AL Tate?
0: Um, The only reason I chose to write under A.L. Tate is because the Mapmaker Chronicles is definitely a fantasy adventure series. The main protagonist is a male. Um, And I was looking at sort of like if you look at a lot of the books in um, in that that sort of genre, they are – Uh, initials as opposed to a full name. Um, There was some discussion as to whether or not, you know, there's this whole thing and people always ask me, they say, did you choose to put AL on so people wouldn't know you were a woman? Mm -hmm. Um, And the uh, response to that has to be no, because that's not actually what the the driving force was. But AL Tate looks better on the cover. And I think it's obviously also worth reminding people that my middle name is not does not start with L um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> yes. So if you actually just read Al Tate altogether, it's Al Tate, which is what yes. everyone calls me. Yes. So um, and which is also what my Twitter handle is. Um, so yes. I think you know there's a whole range of reasons why people choose the pseudonym or the name or whatever, or whatever version of their name they choose. Um, and that was just a whole range of different factors coming together. But yeah. you know the, the Mapmaker Chronicles essentially. Um, was aimed at boys to start with. And I think that it's picked up a lot of female readers along the way and continues to do so. Um, but you know, there's, so there, there is a certain, you know, perhaps a small amount of that involved in the decision as well, but it's, it's not just that there's a lot of different reasons why you choose the name that goes on the cover of the book.
1: All right. So let's move on to a post that was actually in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, recently, and it's by Michelle Law. And it's a post called The Changing Expectations of Emerging Writers. And it's, we'll put the link in the show notes, which, of course, you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au in case you want to have a look at anything that we speak about in this podcast. But basically, uh, Michelle writes about the fact that, you know, she uh, studied creative writing and you learn the important things about the craft of writing itself. But she talks about how there's pressure on writers to do more and more. For example, to have a social media presence or an online brand and a blog and, and that sort of thing. And it's really just a comment on the fact that in the past you used to have just have to write <laughs> and now you not only need to have an online presence you can potentially be asked to speak at literary events where you you know may need to hone your public speaking skills and she's kind of not saying it's good or bad or she wishes to the old days or whatever she's just making a comment that this is what it's like now for authors and I know that I could hear a collective moan amongst certain people who would say, Oh, I wish it was like, all I have to do is write. And why does it have to be there? Why do writers have to do this? Why do, it's not fair. <laughs> why can't I just focus on my craft? And it was interesting because it made me realize after I read this that really this is not just the Plot for writers. This is for everyone. Writers aren't some special species who suddenly have to create an online brand and an online presence. Anyone in the world, whether you're a plumber, or a chiropractor, or a doctor, or a writer, or an artist, or a lawyer, ultimately. Building that profile and presence with the tools that are available at the moment is what's required if you want to stand out from the crowd. Yes, it would be nice if we could all just go away into our garret and and paint or write or whatever it is that we do, but that's not the world we live in. And I just think that a lot of people think it's it's unfair that writers need to do that, but I think that it's something that's applicable to everyone in the world. It's certainly not just—it's certainly not just applicable to writers. There you go. That's my comment for the day.
0: <laughs> well, I, and I do agree with you to a degree. I mean, but I think the important point there that you made was if you want to stand out from the cl- from the crowd, because I think you can you can be a plumber and you can be a lawyer and you can be all of those things and just go about your daily business and 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 do that if that's the way it goes you do need to be able to like promote your business and and like otherwise people won't know you're there I mean at at the end of the day you need people to know that you're there and it's um, with writers I think the most interesting point that she makes here um I'm reading Michelle's Uh, You know, she talks about sometimes my weeks consist of travelling interstate, having Skype meetings, going to writer's rooms, teaching a class, whatever, Um, and, you know, and then she sits down at her document, at at her computer with a document, and she she says, you know, she's going to start working on a story, and she says, that is, after all, my job. Well, actually, I just think all of those things are part of your job. It's not just the writing that is part of your job. And I think if people switch their mindset a little bit, like at the end of the day, yes, writers write, but writers also have to do all of these other things. I'm sorry that yes. it's just what it it is what it is. And if you want to just sit there and write, you can sit there and write, and then you can put your manuscript in a drawer and you can leave it there and feel free. Yes. but that and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But if you actually want to sell a book these days, you you have to engage in all of these other things as well. Not all of them at once. And we mm. have always made that point that you never have to do all of these things at once. But you right. need to build step by step by step on what you're doing. If if you want to have a career at this, like if yes. this is what you want to be doing, then you have to take. You can't. It's like I can't go into a magazine office or go into a job and say all I want to do is this and I will do no other <laughs> things.
1: I know that want that's me right.
0: To do. I refuse to do those things because that is not, you know, my job is to do X and I will not yes. do Y, Z or W. Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that in any job. So the, the reality of it is that if you actually want to have a career at being a writer, you need to get yourself comfortable with all aspects of the job and this is the job. You have yes. to promote the books. You have to do what you have to do and you are not going to make enough money, particularly when you start out by only writing books, so you are probably going to have to teach a class and you might have to go and do a talk and you may have to do all the other things that writers do to pull their income together. And if that's yeah. what, you know, so 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 the full job description involves all of these things. You don't get to just pick and choose. I'm sorry, but you don't. So after yeah. all, your job is to be a writer Yes, but being a writer, capital W, involves all of these things as well as writing the books and and I don't have, I mean, you know, here I am, I'm on my soapbox here. But you know what, <laughs> it's exhausting. Like you, yeah, but your book comes out and you spend weeks and weeks and weeks involved in all of these other things that just take up every aspect of your mind. And okay, mm. I get that. It's not easy, um, but it is part of the job. So, you know, basically what you do is you black out of your diary the three weeks or four weeks around your book coming out, knowing yep. that you will probably not get any writing done at that point, mm. And then you block in the following month, just sit down every day and get your work done. Uh, it's yes. just you have to learn to manage the time, and that's exactly it, it's like no matter what aspect or no matter how far down the track you are as a writer, whether you're starting out or whether you're published or whether you're established or whatever it is you're doing, you have to manage the time that you have, not the time that you wish you had. that's exactly right fantastic and of course if
1: you want any tips on how to start building your profile which is an essential part of being a writer then check out allison's course how to build your author platform and you can find out more at writercenter.com.au platform now Let's move on to our competition. We have, thanks to Palace Films, we're giving away 10 double passes to the new literary biopic, A Quiet Passion, and this opens in cinemas on the 22nd of June. So Cynthia Nixon gives a career best tour de force performance as legendary 19th century poet Emily Dickinson in this luminous, witty, and moving portrait from award-winning filmmaker Terence Davies. Now, if you want to have your chance to win 10 double passes, and I think this would be such an interesting movie. I studied Emily Dickinson, you know, when I was at school and loved the introduction into poetry as a result of her. Uh, The entries close on the 19th of June. Just go to writercentre.com.au.we. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. And if you go to that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how e-books and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our on-demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months' access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash publishing. Are you ready for the word of the week?
0: I am sitting back in my chair (laughs) and I am ready. I am, shall we say braced? I'm in the braced position.
1: Have you heard of this word or have you used this word? Sophistry. That's S for Sam. Sorry, S-O-P-H-I-S-T-R-Y. Sophistry. No,
0: I have neither heard of it nor used it.
1: Me either. So it sounds oh, like it's kind of related to sophisticated or something, but it actually it generally means a false argument or reasoning. So hmm. you might say John tried to use sophistry to hide his illegal actions from the tax agency. Hmm. Sophistry. And by the way, I found this great tool called wordsinasentence.com. Right, So you can just, because you know how you, you sometimes you learn a word and you go, how do you use sophistry or whatever in a sentence? Well, oh. you can just go to that website, wordsinasentence.com. I'm not sure I'll be using the word sophistry too no. much in the coming
0: week. No. But it sounds know. to me more like sort of, you know, the art of lying on the sofa. It kind of sounds more like a... <laughs> It sounds like, like a sophisticated couch potato to me. But I whatever. love that. No, yeah, you know. <laughs> no, it's okay. We can morph the
1: English language. <laughs> <laughs> Let's oh, change cool. it. All right. So, who is our writer in residence this week?
0: Our writer in residence this week is the lovely Emily Gale, and she's a really interesting um, interview because Emily is not only an author um, whose book *The Other Side of Summer* has just been released in the US, having been out in Australia for a little while now, um, but she's also been a publisher. She has been a bookseller and a book buyer. She has experienced all manner of areas of the publishing industry, which gives her a particularly interesting insight into, um, you know, the rising of novels and. How how they're how they're promoted and all of those sorts of things. So we had quite the wide-ranging chat, and it was lovely because we've been you know, Twitter buddies and, uh, in particular Instagram, she's, she's mad on Instagram. She's really good. And, um, we have been, you know, on the social media on the social media, as my mum would call it for together <laughs> for quite some time on the social media. And, um, but we've never actually spoken. So we had a great, you know, like I often think to myself that you guys really miss out because all the best stuff is actually said before and after the official interview. However, this is actually really good in the official recorded bit as well. Emily Gale has been involved in the children's book industry for nearly 20 years. In the UK, she worked as an editor for Penguin and Egmont and later as a freelance manuscript consultant and preschool book writer. In Australia, she has worked with literary agent Sheila Drummond, finding new children's and YA authors. She has reviewed for bookseller and publisher, been a judge for the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, YA category, and spent several happy years at independent bookshop Readings as a children's buyer, during which time she was instrumental in establishing the Readings Children's Book Prize. Emily writes for children and young adults. Her latest book, The Other Side of Summer, was released in Australia in June 2016 and has just come out in the US. Welcome to the program, Emily.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you for that lovely introduction that I just took straight (laughs) off Emily's website for all those who are listening. (laughs) Oh, it
2: sounds nice when you read it. Uh, It's much better than having to write it yourself and... uh, Listen to your own voice reading it. Oh, but. yeah!
0: So everything always sounds much better when someone else, you know, writes it for you and reads it for you. It's lovely. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you start out in the children's book industry?
2: Um, very slightly by accident. Um, I left university. I was living in London. I desperately needed a job, and I saw this advertisement for editorial assistant at Penguin Books, um, in particular with their Frederick Warren imprint, which is the imprint that um, publishes Peter Rabbit. Oh, And I thought, oh, I know Peter Rabbit. I'll, uh, <laughs> I, can do that. I had a very young uh, brother and sister as well. So it was still fresh in my mind. So I applied for that and got it. Mm-hmm. I wrote them a rather creative letter mm-hmm. um, to apply for the job. Um, wow. And so that's how it all began, really. it And it seems like it was such a natural thing now looking back, but it... It wasn't really on purpose. I just really needed a job.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> all these people out there who would really love a job like that, who are just gnashing their teeth, going, Oh right, can you tell me exactly what that creative letter involved? <laughs> <laughs> Look,
2: it was very silly, but I did think, Oh, you know, I'll I'll just go out on a limb here and I'll I'll put some of the Peter Rabbit characters in my covering letter. <laughs> And be a bit cheeky. And um, it seemed to work. Luckily, uh, my boss had a similar sense of humor.
0: (laughs) And were you, at at this stage of your life, were you thinking I might write children's books one day or was that like not
2: at all? No, No, I was definitely thinking I want to write books one day. Right. And I had been thinking that since – I can remember having a thought, right. um, but it didn't seem very realistic, to be honest. Um, mm. <laughs> living in London and having to pay rent, and it just didn't seem realistic to be a writer. I mean, how did you even begin? How do you begin to be a writer when you know <laughs> you're, you you oh, have uh, bills to pay? Mm. Um, so, but I thought, well, if at least if I'm near books, that will feel <laughs> quite quite good. <laughs> right. So it was a really, it was a long road but that was the start of it
0: and did it like did you find editing other people's books and sort of working in that area did you find it inspiring as far as you know inspiring you to, to write your own or what I mean what made you sit down and actually go well you know maybe I'll, i will have a crack at this
2: um well the first couple of years at penguin were really about learning about the publishing industry um, I, I mean, I wasn't working with authors at that point because, um, I, you know, I was I was making up Peter Rabbit books and Spot books and Flower Fairies and that, and all that sort of thing, mm. um, which was fantastic from a creative point of view for a certain time. Mm. And then, I mean, once you've written fifteen Peter Rabbit books, you you need to um, maybe do something else. <laughs> yeah. So um, so it wasn't until a little later that I was actually working with authors. And then that's doing that made me realize that although I was getting a lot out of editing, I was always thinking about when will it be me? When will it be my words? You know, when am I going to get around to it? But it's very difficult when you're doing quite well in one particular part of the industry to then think to yourself, oh, I know, I'll, I'll leave this now and jump into the huge unknown of, you know writing my own books um so but I did do that eventually after so you
0: actually left to write your own novel your own first novel or did you start it yes well I left
2: I left to go freelance and so I knew I was going to be getting some still getting lots of editorial work yeah um and then because I'd made quite a few contacts uh, I ended up getting um, lots of sort of preschool commissions to write for ladybird and and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so so that was good and then it, and then it meant that I did have more time and more more mental space really to start um, to start writing my own fiction.
0: All right, so your first y a novel Girl Aloud, was published in two thousand and nine how did How did that come about? Yes.
2: Um it came about first of all I decided to do nano Mm. Yeah. I'm a big fan. fan. Good. <laughs> um so I I failed at my yes. at nano oh, I, I got to um, I got to I think maybe 35,000 words in in the month. Mm. Um and then I I stopped doing that and about a week later had a baby. Oh. And then,
0: <laughs> Then, Press the pause button. Um,
2: yes. And then I thought, right, I'm going to wait eight weeks and then I'm going to write 500 words a day and I'm going to finish this book. Right. Uh, so that, that was how that book got finished. So it did
0: happen. You actually did it.
2: It did. It did happen. Wow. Um, and then um, I rewrote it a couple of times and then I tried to find an agent. Mm. Funnily enough, that was – I'd already had an agent. <laughs> right and lost one by oh. that point um which is a sort of <laughs> sounds
0: very jealous of you, Emily,
2: of how extremely long and winding the road has been mm. um, but anyway i did get this this agent in london um, louise burns and she sold girl aloud wasn't called that at the time um, she sold the book to chicken house
0: right and and i was thought oh champagne
2: I it. it's going to be everything now this is going to be a huge success and and uh, yes, and then I moved to Australia. <laughs> on
0: the Just not a that. very
2: good idea when your book is being published on one side of the world. It's a t- terrible idea to leave that side of the world and right. go and live somewhere else. Right.
0: So um, what, what happened with Girl Aloud? Was it, was it a huge success? I mean, you know, what, did it, did it um, lead to another book straight away? Like what, what was the next step in the journey at that point?
2: No, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge success. Um, to a certain extent, I felt a little bit divorced from the whole process. Um, and the publisher um, made some decisions that I didn't really agree with. And that made me feel even more sort of separate from the book. I'm, um it was very sad to say. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that I was on the other side of the world made it impossible for me to do any of the things uh, that helped to make a book successful. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't feel very connected to it. Mm. Uh, they did ask me to write another book um, and I tried to sort of second guess it and write something quite similar, mm. um, which was not really what I wanted to do creatively. But I thought I'd, I'd better would better. Um, and then they didn't want to publish that book. Oh. So I'd written a whole manuscript because I thought they wanted that sort of book and it ended up that they didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a big lesson for me. Wow. To always write the book that you want to write and not the book that you think somebody wants you to write. Mm. Yeah.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah. So but by then, I'd, you know, I'd already picked myself up and dusted myself off a couple of times. So, uh, so I just started a new book.
0: Okay. And did that book become your second published novel?
2: Yes, it did. That was still my sunshine. And um, and I managed to convince Random House to buy that one, which was um, the start of a, a good relationship with them over here, which was wonderful.
0: Fantastic. All right. So tell us about The Other Side of Summer, which is your latest book, um, which, of course, has just recently come out in the U.S. as well. What what was the inspiration for that book and how did that one come to be published?
2: Um, Well, as I've mentioned, I I did move over to Melbourne from London nearly 10 years ago. And it's affected me very profoundly. And the ongoing homesickness has affected me very profoundly. And so I always knew that I wanted to write uh, um, something about that sort of sense of homesickness. Uh, But I didn't want to write memoir, I didn't really want to write about a woman of my age doing it. And I just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to write about a young girl who is on the precipice of you know, being a teenager, but is also at that point taken out of where she belongs and put somewhere completely new. Nice. Thought that would be a good way of telling the story. And much more much more interesting for me to think about it happening to a child rather than that rather than myself and I knew I could use a lot of what I already knew about moving over um, but I could also escape into an imaginary world um, and make it a bit more special and magical mm. hmm. so and it
0: was it an easy write to the book like did it like given that you know you had such strong feelings about it did that make it sort of flow flow from you so to speak or was it more difficult because you probably had quite a lot of feeling invested in it
2: um, no, I had to be very sort of raw and uh, raw and honest. Um, but I found that cathartic and, um, I knew that I was onto something because I felt very emotional every time I read the book back. Mm. And I thought, I think people are going to get that this is a really heartfelt story. I think that's, I think that's going to come across. Mm. um, and and it and it has it has come across which is um exactly what i wanted and and that's wonderful i've had more of a response to this book than to any previous book so so that feels good because it it feels like it was worth sort of plunging into my emotions to to create it
0: because it's not easy to put your heart on a page like that is it and and i think that when you do that i think that's when it really does as you say you need to write the book that you really want to write don't you and it's that mm. those are the ones that tend to resonate the most with other people as well
2: yes it's definitely true it's difficult though because everything hurts more as well <laughs> um you know when when somebody doesn't like this book it feels extremely personal mm. um and yeah it, it cuts deeper um but then the responses that are positive are just so much better uh, because you know that you've done something completely honest and um, you've given your whole self to the book. Um, yeah.
0: And did your publisher respond to this one straight away as well? Like was it immediately, we love this, or was it, yes, eh, you know, it it's okay, but you might want to rework the middle?
2: <laughs> I had worked on it really hard before sending it to them. Right. So they didn't they didn't get the the dodgy first draft. Um, And I'd had a couple of really trusted authors um, look over it as well. And so so I had worked hard before I gave it to them. I so wanted it to be right. Um, But yes, they they responded straight away and very positively. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I've... I've actually done it. <laughs>
0: so, so w- what's your writing process? Are you a person who plans everything out in advance, or are you someone who just sort of sits down and writes? Like, are you are you on a sort of certain number of words a day, or how do you how do you actually get your manuscript together?
2: Um, no, I never learn from lack of planning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I continue
2: to, to not plan. <laughs> um, no, I, I always, I mean, I always start from character. And so I, I do spend a lot of time writing words that are never going to be in the finished manuscript, but are, that are me getting to know my main character. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. I, I think when I started out, I thought, You know, I can't write all these words and not use them. I can't just put them in the trash. But now I just accept that as part of the process and um, and I don't mind that at all. Um, I usually don't really know what I'm writing about until I get to about halfway into the novel, the first draft. Um, And then, of course, that means I have to go back and, you know, write it all again. Fix the the first (laughs) time.
0: (laughs) Oh, I am so relating to yeah. you right now.
2: <laughs> so I do, I respond very well to those kinds of NaNoWriMo challenges. Um, I, I do respond well to uh, setting myself goals. Um, not necessarily, a mu- I mean, I don't write a novel in a month anymore. Mm. Um, but I do, I mean, I line up. Chocolate eggs, and I say to myself, "You cannot eat one unless you've written five hundred (laughs) words." Like it's really, it's not very sophisticated over here.
0: (laughs) There's a Pavlovian kind of response going on here. I feel it works. Oh dear! Now you actually worked with a songwriter to create a song for the novel, didn't you? What, What? Why did you do that? Like, how did that come about?
2: Um well I've known Tim Tim Reed for years. He's actually my partner's best friend from high school. And um I've I've just always loved his music. I think he is such a gorgeous sensitive songwriter. And I jokingly said to him when you know way before I'd even finished the manuscript, um, oh it's about a girl who's learning to play the guitar. Wouldn't it be fun if we wrote a song for the book? and he was like oh yeah yeah that would be fun and then i thought well you know why not i really wanted to see what we could come up with i just thought it would be gorgeous and i thought it would be a bit different and um, and so he was up for it so 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 we did it fantastic
0: yeah. so it's actually on the website isn't it if anybody wants to have a, a listen to the song on yeah, your website yeah
2: yeah, um, and and he's written all the the actual music out, the guitar chords and everything. I mean, he he's he's so great. He's very very patient, and he teaches kids to play as well. And he's just a beautiful soul. So it was it was lovely to work with him.
0: And did you write the lyrics then for the actual song?
2: No, we um, he put them together, and then we worked on them back and forth. Um, yeah, he read the book, and then he he came up with some lyrics and then we worked on those together. And did you find
0: yeah. the songwriting process interesting from the perspective of, you know, it's obviously quite different to writing and it, like he, you're trying to encapsulate the whole book, aren't you, in in a in a sort of, you know, 3-minute song, which is quite yeah. a different process to writing the 65,000 or whatever it was words that you wrote initially. So how did you how did you find that process of trying to capture the essence of the book? in a song.
2: I, well, I think that Tim captured it mm. and then I sort of fiddled with it. So I feel more like I was the editor of the <laughs> song. <laughs> and he, he came up with the goods the and then I – editor of the song. Yeah. A glamorous
0: title, <laughs> isn't
2: it? <laughs> yeah. I think he, he, he came up with the essence. He oh, got it. Great. Um, yeah. I mean, if I'd started from nothing, I just – I mean, I would have come up with a basic nursery rhyme. It would have been terrible. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he he did a great job.
0: All right. So the book is now out in the US, which is very exciting. Yay. Um, Available, I'm assuming, in all the places?
2: Yes, in all. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. I can't really go over and check,
0: unfortunately, but
2: I believe it is. (laughs)
0: And are you doing anything special, you know, from your end to sort of promote it? Like, is there anything that you're doing or that you feel you can do to actually promote the book in the US from here?
2: Not nothing special, I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm I on all the usual sort of social media, and I do spend time um, trying to um, reach out to new readers via those means. Um, but but no, I'm sort of back in my cave and working on another book, and trusting that HarperCollins are looking after the other side of summer over there. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, I think so. They've done a, such a beautiful job on the book and they've got a couple of really lovely trade reviews for it as well. So I'm hoping that that's a good start. Yeah. And, uh, yeah,
0: Because you are quite active on social media uh, just in general, aren't you? I, I see you regularly on Instagram. I see you on Twitter. Yes. Um, yes. I, do you feel that that's an important part of the job uh, of being an author?
2: Um, it's really difficult because I think the balance is so hard to achieve Mm. um, and it's really hard. It's actually hard to know if what you're doing is paying off Mm. to any sort of significant um, extent. But I, I really, really enjoy Instagram particularly. Um, you know, there, there are some parts of social media that make me feel really terrible at the end of the day. Mm. (laughs) Um, and I think lots of writers feel Mm. that way. Um, but Instagram never makes me feel bad. It always makes me feel really good.
0: <laughs> so Instagram is your happy place. That is my happy place, nice. yeah. And what is your handle on Instagram if people want to have a look for you? Oh, God, that is a good question. <laughs> it's Emily Gale Books, et cetera. You know when you just never
2: know your own phone number because you never call yourself? Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> very I true. should probably know that. No, it's Emily Gale Books, et cetera. Okay, uh, yeah, So
0: Now, you are someone who's worked in all the facets of – children's books really like you've done publishing and That's editing what, right. you've been an agent you've reviewed you've judged you've worked as a bookseller does that make writing novels like easier or more difficult like did you do you have a do you have that Do you bring that sense of what sells to the actual to the process or do you try to forget all that stuff when you're doing your own work
2: I think unfortunately you do sort of forget when you are writing <laughs> you know the way you just forget everything that's of any value and logic Mm. when you're actually sitting in front of a manuscript tearing your hair out? And then when you sort of walk away from it, you think, oh, no, you know, I can do this. I can do this. That's a little bit what it's like. But I think think probably the most useful part for me was being a children's book buyer at readings. Mm.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that. What do you think that you – What did you learn from that? Like how has that influenced what you do as as an author? Partly
2: it reminded me of um, an age group that I really felt drawn to and really wanted to write for and that's that um, sort of 11, 12, 13 Mm. age group and that really decided for me where I wanted to pitch the other side of summer and it totally changed my manuscript because I'd started out making it a YA manuscript and I had the teenage characters telling the story and then I thought no this is this is the kind of story that I want to write based on my years working at readings and and the kind of readers who who came in and what they were looking for and and you know it unfortunately teenage readers are harder to find, mm. you know, they have so many pressures on them at high school, and it's um, reading for pleasure becomes much more of a challenge later on, whereas that sort of 11, 12, 13, that's when I became a reader for life, mm. I mean, those are the books that I remember from my childhood, that's when it really, really clicked for me that this was my thing, mm. and so I wanted to write for that that reader,
0: mm. so that was pretty it's an interesting thing too, because we we interviewed like one of our very first podcast interviews, you know, back in the day, because you know, we're talking about 170 episodes ago. Um, we interviewed John Purcell, who was the who was, you know, obviously the book buyer yeah. at Booktopia, and he at that stage was writing um, fiction under another name, which was you know quite an interesting conversation for us to have, because he was telling us about the fact that you know he was there at Booktopia and the representative for his. Uh, book came in to sell his book into booktopia and he oh, had that yes. experience of having his own book sold, sold <laughs> in, which, you know, as he said, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting process. And if you haven't listened to that episode, um, listeners do have a listen to it because it's really worth the insight, but uh, like, have you had that experience as well? Like in the sense that you understand how, um, how books are sold into bookshops. So mm. are you sort of like when you're writing your own work, do you have that in your head as well?
2: um I don't necessarily have that in my head I do second guess myself way too much based on what I know of the industry um but I have had some just I have felt very embarrassed in certain situations um (laughs) when people have been holding my book and I've been a bookseller uh and I I suddenly have have to be the author that feels so vulnerable to me yeah Um, yeah. So um I I had one afternoon at Readings where I I approached a customer and she was holding my book and I just freaked. And she said she said do you think this would be suitable for my 7-year-old daughter? And instead of saying, yes, oh, that, that's a great choice. And by the way, I wrote that. Would you like me to sign it for you like a normal human being would? I proceeded to show her every single book in the shop
0: That was as not an yours. alternative
2: <laughs> to buying my book. I didn't mention that I had written the one she was holding in her hand. I <laughs> broke out into this cold sweat. <laughs> she was by then holding about 10 of the books I had suggested to her. And then right at the end, I said, oh, by the way, I did actually write that. She just looked at me like, why didn't you mention that half an hour ago? <laughs> I just couldn't. I was I was being a bookseller. Oh, that's I didn't so really know how to stop doing that and, and uh, be the author. Right.
0: And have you got uh, better at being the author now with a bit more practice?
2: Well, I've now been full-time, full-time authoring for a year mm. and I'm – I don't know if I'm better because I spend so much time by myself with my dog.
0: <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> all right. So while you were at readings, you did get involved in the readings children's book prize. Was the mm-hmm. it all sort of began a couple of years ago? So how did that like wh- why and how did that come about?
2: Well, readings had wanted to do um, a literary fiction prize for years. And so that seemed like it was going ahead. And so I sort of put up my little hand and said, oh, well, while we're doing that, we should probably do a children's prize as well, shouldn't we? And I think they were not very convinced that that (laughs) would be viable. Uh, So I did a lot of research, um, particularly into the Waterstones prize in the UK. Mm. And that has just become huge and so influential. And I managed to convince Mark Rubo that, uh, we could do something just as great and that the industry really, really needed it as well. Um, and I, I mean, he says I twisted his arm, but it was not hard. He really, he was up for it. He was up for it. (laughs) So it was great. And it actually, I think it's, I do think of it as one of the best things that I've done, um, because obviously I've left now and it, and it, it's continued and um, it's it's part of the literary landscape now in Australia and I just think that is so great.
0: Well, I was very excited about it because I was shortlisted for it. <laughs> so I, I thought it was a genius <laughs> no, <you're not>. idea. <laughs> genius yeah. idea. And the fact
2: and- is, it is it is an award that makes a difference to sales and yes. that can't be said for every literary award. So I think that when they're run by an independent bookseller, um, you know, they, they do make a difference. Everybody works a bit harder to sell your book and that's what you want as an author. That's
0: exactly what you want. And I see that they're now also this year is the inaugural YA book prize as well, which is fantastic. Yes. Which it just
2: released the shortlist, yeah. Which
0: um, has possibly grown out of the very successful Love Oz YA movement, which is also, I you're very active with that as well, aren't you? I see you hashtagging all over the place. <laughs> I
2: do. Well, you know, um, Australian YA has been my way in to this country in many ways. Um, I've read it almost nonstop since I got here. Uh, so I feel very passionate about it. Um, yeah, so it's been great to be involved in that movement, which kind of grew in a very strange way, but it's become this huge. This really important organization
0: oh it's it's yeah. fantastic, and it's been you know it has been very, very successful. I love the way people have jumped on board that and and uh, really taken it up with a passion. I think it's wonderful to see that and I, I, it has to make a difference, you know it it must. I can only think it must.
2: I think it does. And um, I, I think I, I was reading recently, um, in possibly from Danielle Binks, who's, of course, um, a huge part of that movement, yes. that um, librarians have been making much more of an effort to put Australian YA, you know, to the front. Um, and I know a lot of libraries have the Love Oz YA posters up. Uh, certainly the library that I go and work in a lot has, you know, five or six of the posters up. Um, and it does make a, a big difference, and hopefully we'll see that reflected um, in the next few years in library borrowings. Um, but it's it's very difficult to compete with the those big US juggernauts oh, yeah. uh, that that come our way, and and they're wonderful too. And it's not it's not as though love Os Y.A. Um, means to you know distract us from reading international fiction, mm. um, but. In a small market, you do have to look after your own books mm. in a special way.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, so you also, I do you have a writing routine per se. Like you have a family, you've got, you know, you, you work in libraries, you've got all this other stuff going on. Like, what is your actual, you know, when do you get the actual writing done? Like you, said, you mentioned, yeah. you're working on something at the moment with your dog. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I'm all over the it's writers terrible. with dogs movement as you know yeah. Yeah. Um, so what um you know are you do you sort of have a set time each day where you do your stuff or what do you how do you work it Yeah
2: I mean it feels such a luxurious part of my life at the moment because when I started writing I had um, a small child and I was heavily pregnant so that's that pretty much feels like the worst time mm. to write a book mm. Um, but it's often when women do who've always wanted to write do start writing because you sort of think right well my life is about to be taken over by these aliens i better get started on something Maybe something useful yeah. But my children are now 13 and 10. And it is just so different now writing to, to when they were little. I don't feel guilty anymore. I felt when they were little, any time I spent away from them writing, especially when I didn't have a contract, mm-hmm. um, felt, you know, I felt the guilt of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, they go off to school. And um, so I'm in my little cave until 2.30. And that that's that's what I do. It's this gorgeous, luxurious time. Um, and the only time I leave my desk is to walk the dog, <laughs> which is a very important part of the writing day. It is. Because it always dislodges some stuck thought or just refreshes you. Or I always come back from a dog walk thinking, What would I do without a dog? How did I ever write books without a dog?
0: (laughs) Look at us. We are so kindred spirits in this. I hope you people out there are all listening to this. I bang on constantly about walking the dog and how important it is. But anyway. Um, So, all right. So, um, let's finish up today with your three top tips for writers, apart clearly from get yourself a dog. What are your other three top tips for writers?
2: Um, I do think that setting yourself um, word counts – works really well i don't necessarily subscribe to um sit down every single day that is too hard especially for people who have other commitments um, but if you can just set yourself those small goals mm. you will find yourself with a first draft after you know not very long at all um, so they work chocolate works too um, whatever <laughs> you know dangle carrots in front of your nose doesn't matter how much it feels like kindergarten they work. <laughs> um, I always, always read while I'm writing. I know that a lot of people get worried about that, and they think I have to, I have to stop reading if I am writing a book. Um, but uh, once you've established your voice as a writer, which obviously you you know you do after thousands and thousands of words, um, I think. It just inspires you to keep reading other people's work and keep being involved. And and you actually really need that community around you as well. And so, you know, supporting your fellow writers um, is really important. Um, (laughs) Do I need another top tip? I feel like in a terrible position to give a top tip because I'm actually (laughs) wrestling with this huge first draft at the moment. And it's put me back into that, Place where I think, should I really be doing this? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, or have I made a terrible mistake?
0: Do you not also feel, though, and this would be, I think, a top tip do you not also feel, though, that every single writer reaches that point at some point with every single manuscript that they write? Because I know I certainly do. I sit there going, I'm in a hole, I'm never that, getting out and of. And I read
2: their books, and I think, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you just think, you, it's imposter syndrome and, and I know that everybody does suffer from it but when you suffer from it, you do believe you're the only person who suffers from it and you admire everyone around you and your book is just rubbish compared to everyone else's and it's just terrible, this industry. I don't know why we do it.
0: <laughs> so there's Emily's last top tip for writers. Sorry. Don't do it. Is that it? <laughs> Perhaps we could leave on a positive note. <laughs> I know, oh, I've got
2: another another couple of really quick ones. Okay, if you're on social media too much, get one of those apps where you can block yourself yes. from um, looking at Facebook and Twitter. That's really great. Do, um, do you use free- one of those? And um, there's another one as well. It was actually Leanne Moriarty who got me onto doing that. She uses Freedom. Mm. So if it's good enough for Leanne Moriarty... <laughs> So that's yes. good enough for me yes um yes and and scrivener that's that's the the new one for me I've never written a novel on scrivener before, but I am writing a a novel with four narrators, and I really don't think that a word document would have cut it ah. with the exact um times I have moved chapters around and moved narrators around um so yeah
0: it's worth worth watching the tutorial. <laughs> So you're a new convert are you and you're you're an advocate. Definitely. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, those are fantastic tips. I think we've I think we pulled it out of the fire with those last two. That was excellent work. <laughs> Down the spiral. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Emily. If you would like to read more about Emily's books, go to emilygalebooks.com. I will put the link in the show notes um, and also to her Instagram account, which is definitely worth uh, following and um, I I'm a, I'm a big fan of your Instagram and I love the fact that you are such a, um, such a, what should I say? Um, voracious commenter. I like the fact that you get involved in everybody else's things as much as you do. I think it's, I think it's a great tip for new people on social media though. Like you're very social, which is excellent. Um, and of course using freedom to lock yourself out when you need to. Um, yep. so thank you very much for your time, Emily and, um, Emily Gale, um, and the author of the other side of summer out now in the U S. Thank you so much. Great
1: interview, Al. Isn't it great how, like, I don't know, I just love our job. We get to to interview fantastic authors and it's so interesting to see how every author has such a different process and just different techniques and different ways in which they approach their career. Well, that's right. And,
0: just, and I also find it fascinating how many, like the different stories of how people, you know, become published and how they mm. get into the industry. and Like just everybody comes at things from a different way and I think it's really important that, you know, all, you know, aspiring authors remember that, that it's you, you never quite know where what's going to happen or how it's going to happen for you and it, or it always happens in a slightly different way for everyone. So I think that's, yes. um, that's worth keeping in mind. Go forward. Keep writing. It- and even though people
1: get to the final destination through different paths i think what's important is that they understand the map so it's so important to understand the industry so that you can see
0: the different paths to publication as well well that's right yeah that's exactly right and it's that you know the research that you do on on well, this kind of stuff like listening to authors talk about how they mm. how they got there what their process is all of those sorts of things i think i mean i love the author interviews you know, on the podcast because I learn something mm. every single time from different people. Every single person I interview, um, you know, there's there's some new little thing I go, oh, okay, <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and I've been doing this a long time. So if I'm yeah. learning something every single week, you know, from, from the different people that we talk to, then I really hope that – Um, and, and I think we've talked about this before too, the importance of, of listening to interviews that you don't necessarily think – you know cuz i know a lot of people like to go through and pick and choose and all of that sort of stuff as to which authors they listen to but i think some of my biggest lessons have come from people that that you know the most unexpected sources and For i think that
1: sure.
0: that's 100% think? Yeah. 100% I think, yeah i and i think it's um so it's always worth having a listen to you know if there's any that you've skipped because you've thought oh you know what could that person possibly have to mm. say that would interest me um it's worth every single week, there's something. So it's worth going back to have a listen to the ones that you haven't listened to. Definitely, definitely.
1: All right. So this brings us almost to the end of this week's podcast. What are you doing in the coming week Al?
0: That's a good question. I well, I'm sort of you know dancing with my characters to yes. work, so we can work out what this new story is going to be all about. Um, but I'm also so I received the proof copies of the first uh, Adam and Cipher. Uh, yes, book, if, if anyone's um, if you're following me on Facebook or Twitter, or if you're not, why not? Um, <laughs> then you will have seen the cover for that. So that's really exciting because that means the proof is like the it's 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 just that one step closer to the, re- to the book being real, you know, like it goes, yes.
2: you
0: know, carry it around in your head for so long and it becomes this massive thing and then all of a sudden it's in your hand and it's it's a book, you know. So that's really exciting. So those proof copies go out to all the reviewers and the booksellers and, um, and hopefully they all love it and uh, it will help to sort of, you know, yeah. generate some word of mouth and I'm all of I'm so things.
1: excited. I can't tell you. I think I'm almost as excited as you about this upcoming series.
0: Well, it's, it's um it's a it's a funny thing because I feel like, yes. you know, the Mapmaker Chronicles feels like, you know, it's it's that, you know, you're first born and it's mm. it's all those things. And this is kind of this is a whole new world. literally a whole new world. Yes. Um and there's just that, you know, I'm sort of it's that thing of like being on tenterhooks, you know, hoping that it will be as well accepted as, you know, the Mapmaker Chronicles has been. So it's um yeah, it is exciting. It's a it's a big It's a big deal. (laughs) It's very exciting. I'm particularly excited because it's to do with codes. I know. And it (laughs) is the whole code thing. It's completely (laughs) done my head in, as you can imagine, writing it. But anyway, (laughs) um, so that's exciting. And the other thing that's quite exciting is that I was, uh, I found the, so the Lithuanian uh, copy of. um, Oh, yes. The Mapmaker Chronicles Two has come out, and of course, so of course we now have this fabulous and I'm waiting for my author copies to come through because they're so i I love having the foreign editions It's so mm-hmm. much fun yes. um, so there it is, you know the the whole thing it's something surreal about seeing your own book written in another weird, language right? like it's really weird, but anyway, yes, um so there are so the the my author copies of that will be on the way, so that's exciting, um yeah, so it's you know it's all coming along, we're going, we're getting there. All happening. Mm. Well,
1: what am I doing? I'm doing quite different things to you. I don't have a Lithuanian copy of anything coming <laughs> what? my way. Doesn't everyone no. have a Lithuanian copy. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I am really busy doing corporate training. I'm running a big workshop for a corporate on how to write media releases. Oh. Which, uh, yeah, because you know we receive as journalists, we receive so many media releases, and some of them are. Very good and engaging, and it makes you want to write about that particular topic. And some of them are so bad. Like so bad that you pass them on to your friends, going and you say, "Oh my god, can you believe how bad this media release is?" Oh. Well,
0: I do, and you never want to be the person that wrote that media release. <laughs> no. <released.
1: laughs> oh, so uh, I'm yeah. It's I'm, I'm going to be teaching a bunch of people on how to write good media releases. Of course. Excellent. All right. So in the meantime, until we chat again, where do we find you online, Al?
0: You'll find me at alisontait.com, dot com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie
1: Koo on Twitter and Instagram and feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm also Valerie Koo. I'm the Valerie Koo in Sydney, so just ping me there. And you'll find the show notes, of course, at soyouwanttobearwriters.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.